0: If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Acts chapter number 5. I'm going to read one verse out of Acts chapter number 5. Then we're going to turn over to John chapter number 4 and we're going to continue uh, the message that we started three weeks ago now on evangelism. Acts chapter number 5, I'm going to read verse number 14. Acts chapter number 5, verse number 14. The Bible records these words. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women. Um, This week, more than others, I've been starkly reminded that I thank God that He doesn't hold my past against me. Um, I want to tell you a story this morning. I've told it before. It's been a while since I've told it, something in my life that I'm not. Proud of, but it is something that happened. Uh, it applies to both thanking God for my sins being forgiven, uh, but also the message that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. Um, my dad had a brother named Ron. Their names were Ronald and Donald. And you've heard me tell the story about them many times. Um, my Uncle Ron was the one that was getting on to me that day about using that sycamore. Uh, and jerked me off the tractor and was screaming and shaking me and then about 20 minutes later come back up to the house holding his hand like this because he uh, got off the tractor while it was running and tried to clear some grass out and his finger was laying down there in the field somewhere. He had done what he was fussing at me for. Um, And uh, I'll tell you something else funny about him. He was four years older than my daddy and my daddy caught him in the fourth grade in school. (laughs) Daddy said he was dating one of the teachers when he was in high school, and he was older than she was. <laughs> uh, but, uh, of course, you know the story. My dad got saved, you know, as an adult, and it radically transformed his life, and he became a new, a new man. Uh, my mom got saved, too. And, I mean, they just jumped right in there and became so faithful to the house of God. And, uh, really. When Shane and I moved back from, when I got out of the military, we started going to mom and dad's church. And that's where I learned how to be faithful. And my first pastor taught me how to uh, be an evangelist and a witness. And, boy, he was good at it. The best I've ever ever seen. Just love the Lord and love people. But, of course, time goes on. And my dad and, you know, and Ron get older. And Ron's several years older than uh, my dad. And he moved to... uh, West Virginia. He'd made a lot of mistakes in life. Had several marriages that had failed, and and, and it really got into alcohol, and it, it began to damage his body. Um, I was here at Zion. I hadn't been here long at the time, uh, maybe a year or possibly even a little less. And my dad called me, and he said, uh, "Your uncle Ron is sick uh, up in West Virginia. And, uh, the doctors are not sure what's going on." Uh, of course. Found out later that it was a pulmonary embolism, and they didn't diagnose it. Uh, They thought he had cancer, Um, and my dad said uh, somebody needs to present the gospel to Ron uh, because you know Ron's never been been saved, and I'm I'm worried about him. And and I told my dad, I said, well, well. He asked me. He said, well, you ride up there with me. It was about a five and a half hour drive up there, I guess. Uh, to where he was in West Virginia in the hospital and I told my dad I said uh, well daddy I've just got a lot going on right now I'm, I'm busy uh, but I'll tell you what I'll do I'll go up there with you on Friday this was Tuesday and I said we'll go up there Friday and we'll stay overnight Friday night and, and come back Saturday evening uh, well Thursday night my dad calls me and says we ain't Don't have to worry about going to West Virginia tomorrow. Ron's dead. Um, Now, I I do not know. I I, I leave everybody in the hands of a just God. Uh, God is 100% just in every decision that he makes. But I'll tell you this. God gifted me to be able to share the gospel. I understand that. Uh, I'm not making a boast. I'm just simply saying it's something I've always been able to do since he saved me. He gave me 24 hours in a day just like he did everybody else. There was nothing stopping me from going to West Virginia other than I had peripheral things going on And I have to live every single day of my life. I have to live with that. The fact that I did not do the most important thing. Now, that song they sung this morning, I thank God for that song. Because I've went to the Lord and I've asked God to forgive me. And the blood of Jesus Christ covers our sin and I know I've been forgiven of that Uh, but I'm going to tell you I still have to live with that and the consequences of my disobedience could ring throughout eternity I didn't tell you that story this morning because I'm proud of it I'm ashamed of it and would much rather tell you that I got in the car and I drove up there and I shared the gospel with him. And then regardless of the decision that he made, I would have done what I was supposed to do and could stand before God with nothing to be ashamed of. But you see, I had to bury my face in the ground before God and beg his forgiveness because that's not what took place. I say that for this reason this morning. Every one of us are given those same opportunities. Every single one of us who are believers are given those same opportunities. And we've been talking about evangelism, and you know the story. Uh, There was a man and woman, Ananias and Sapphira, and they disobeyed God, and God wanted to purify the church because... The church being pure raises the potential of the church to have a powerful witness. There's potential in purity. And we talked about that. And each of us, as we gather here together on Sunday morning, are given an opportunity uh, uh, to, uh, to take our sins uh, to the cross and have the blood of Jesus Christ cover our sins and say, God, I'm, uh, I've done something, I've done it this way, and it wasn't the right way. Um, so therefore, uh, as of today, I want to repent, go the other way, and I'm doing that now, and I'm asking you to forgive me. And as we do that, then God then can use us. You see, God doesn't use impure vessels. God only uses impure uh, pure vessels. Uh, that's why in Jeremiah, he talks about the potter taking the clay, and he busts that clay, and he just makes it into a thousand pieces, but then he reforms that clay back into a vessel that can be filled with the Holy Spirit and used of God in a powerful way. Um, I believe with all my heart that if I would have never um, got down on my hands and knees and buried my face in the ground, and I'll go even a step further, if I would have never got before a congregation of believers and confessed my sin publicly that God would have never used me to win another soul to the Lord. I was done after that disobedience. You know, the Bible does say that we're to confess our sins one to another. That's something we forgot about in the modern day church. Um, So it was necessary for me to get before a congregation of believers and say, this is how I messed it up. um, And ask them and the Lord forgive me so there's potential impurity Um, well then we read on and we saw how Peter and the the apostles went out and started talking about this Jesus and they uh, arrested him and put him in prison and the angel came and got him out of prison and the next day they were found there in the temple um, teaching and preaching About Jesus, as a matter of fact, in verse number 19, the Bible says, But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life, meaning the life of Christ, what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've touched, what you've experienced. And they did that. Well, the powers that be, uh, the leaders didn't like that too much. So they got them and they said, Hey, stop doing this. Don't you be doing this anymore. And we must understand that as they did this, that they had just witnessed a crucifixion for a man that would not stop doing and saying and speaking what they had said. So they, had, they understood that the, there could be consequences to what they were doing, and those consequences could be very severe. Next time it could be them up there hanging on the cross for doing what they were told not to do. Of course, Peter... He stands up as the leader, Uh, but it says in the other apostles, so they were all on the same team, and said in verse 29, uh, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And and I'm going to say those two things must go together. Repentance and forgiveness. There cannot be forgiveness unless there's been repentance. And as we proclaim the gospel, there's power in that proclamation because we see that when people saw these things and heard these things... That the Bible tells us that many came to believe, a multitude of people came to believe what Peter and the other apostles were saying. Why? Not because that they had some special gift or that they had some special power, but that there's power in the proclamation of the Word of God. Do you know what caused the sun to shine and the moon to be in the sky and the stars to be out there in the atmosphere and the gravity to be just the right amount and there to be just the right amount of oxygen so we can breathe and there's water so we can have life and there's grass that can grow and all of that? That came about through the spoken word of God and the same power that caused that sun or that star to shine Two or three billion light years away is the same power that comes out of us when we say what this is, what thus saith the Lord. What power does it have? It has power to move heaven and earth so that a man, a woman, a boy and a girl could be convicted of their sin, uh, could be drawn by the Holy Spirit and be saved by the grace of God. But we've got to be willing to speak it for that spoken word to have power. Now, listen, I say a lot of worthless words. I'm not that. Shane will testify to that. But when I'm smart enough. Not to say my own opinion, and I'm telling you I do it quite often, and when I do that I'm messing up and I understand that, I'm human. But when I'm smart enough to speak what thus saith the Lord, it carries the same weight as if God Himself were speaking it. And when you open your mouth and speak what thus saith the Lord, it carries the same weight as if God Himself were speaking it. It has power. He said, my word will not return unto me void, but will accomplish all that I set it forth to do. So there's power in proclamation of the word. Point number three. I want to talk to you for just a minute about the miracle of multiplication. You see, there was something took place when these disciples, uh, purification came in the church, so there was potential then for God to use them. Uh, then they spoke the word of God, so they experienced that power uh, in proclamation. Well, listen what the Bible said. That's what I read to you this morning. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. I told this um, on a Wednesday night a couple of weeks ago. We was talking about when I went in the Marine Corps. Uh, the first few days you're there, they take you through this thing called processing. You know, you go in and they give you all your shots and all that kind of stuff and tell you that you belong to the government now and you don't belong to your mama and all that stuff. And it's going to be a new way of life from now on. Uh, anyway, one of the things that they did, they had this financial advisor come in and speak to everybody because everybody there's a bunch of 18, 19, 20 year olds. And you know, they ain't the brightest bulbs in the box, right? Come on now, we can be honest. I was one one time. And, that was the case. So they brought this fellow in, and basically, here's what he said Don't spend more money than you got. When you get paid after you graduate from basic training and go through infantry training and all of that, you're going to get a bigger check than a lot of you have ever gotten before. That included me, you know. I was just a poor old country boy from Western North Carolina. So don't go out and spend your money on wild women and booze and all that stuff. You better, you need to save some. And and I know you're young And you don't think you're ever going to get old And all that stuff And you're going to live forever and all of that But you ought to start thinking about retirement That's somewhere way off across the horizon Further than you can see right now And here's what that man said Now I don't know the exact numbers So don't break out your iPhones or Google this And calculate it Uh, You know the principle when I say it But he said something like this If you'll start today, you're 18 years old And you start investing $150 a month $150 150 dollars a month, and you put that in there every single month, month after month after month, and then they give a percentage increase as your salary went up. So you know, in 15 years, you might be putting 200 dollars or something like that, and it draws something like six or seven percent interest over the years. That by the time you're 67 years old, you'll have something like 1.6 million dollars in the bank. Well, how does that happen? You ain't putting but $150 a month. Well, pretty soon the interest off of what you put in there after year after year after year, after year doing it is drawing more interest year after year than what you're making or putting in there. And, and there's a process takes place. It's called compound interest. And, and that thing begins to multiply, and it begins to multiply, and pretty soon, 8 Six or seven or eight percent off what you've got in there is drawing forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year. Well, that same principle applies in the church. Because as Ed wins somebody to the Lord and Kim wins somebody to the Lord and then that person is trained and discipled and then sent out, then those two people win a couple of people to the Lord and you got four and then it's eight and then it's uh, 16, 32, 64, 128, 256. You get the idea of what I'm saying. There's a miracle of multiplication goes on when the people of God opened their mouth, they purified their hearts first and then they speak, they proclaim the power powerful Word of God, then something begins to happen, and it's the miracle of multiplication. That's how God's kingdom grew. How is it that the church went from 12, 12, right, to literally, in just 50 or 60 short years, there was churches all over the known world. It's because the people of God understood the principle of the miracle of multiplication. They got out. They purified themselves. They spoke the proclaimed word of God and the number in the church exploded. Now that doesn't mean that we've got people sitting in the pews here at Zion Baptist Church or our offerings go through the roof. That stuff is irrelevant compared to the kingdom of God. What really matters is God's kingdom grew and the heaven got bigger and that there was more souls going to heaven and less souls going to hell but that's not going to happen automatically we've got to keep making those deposits you see here's the thing about that miracle of multiplication if you wait till you're 28 instead of starting when you're 18 and you double the amount that you start putting in when you're 65 or 66 or 67 you ain't got half as much money. You see, it matters that we start now. And for the multiplication process to reach its maximum, every day that we waste is a day wasted. I learned that with good old Ron. Now, y'all need to smile. I'm gonna tell you one more story about Ron and then we'll move on. Thank God, all my sins are forgiven. I used to be meaner than a rattlesnake, and Ron made me mad one time. And uh, well, he made me mad all the time, but uh, I wasn't too easy to get along with either. We uh, we were at, had went to Thanksgiving dinner, and Ron had him a new girlfriend, and uh, she had her family, and she brought her to Thanksgiving dinner. Well, like I said, Ron had made me mad, but I was having a conversation with her, and she got to tell me about how Ron had served in Vietnam. Well, Ron never, never left the United States of America, much less went to Vietnam. <laughs> My daddy had. My daddy had went to Vietnam, but not Ron, and I knew that. I said, oh, boy, you're going to make me mad. So we all get in there, the whole family, and his new girlfriend that he's got that he's trying to impress, and all of her family was there as well. And here I am, about 10, 11 years old. And I was smart though as a 10 or 11 year old. And I was devious. I said, Ron, tell us how it was over there when you was in Vietnam. Uh-oh. Silence. See, everybody in that room except for her and her family knew he ain't never stepped foot in Vietnam. And boy, I put him on the spot. Now, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. that was mean to me. I shouldn't have done that. uh I saw in Ron's life that just a day or two can make all the difference in the world. You see, if most of us average, we'll live to be 78, 79 years old. That's about the average. And we think of this gift that God's given us called life and the opportunities that we have across that linear scale of 78 or 79 years. But you watch a professional football gamer, watch a professional basketball gamer, or, or watch it. Well, it's the same principle that the first three quarters and 14 minutes of a football game will take two hours, and the last minute of that game will take uh, about an hour and a half, right? Along that game, basketball, football, you can use it for any sport, um, there's key moments that in a lot of ways stand out and those moments have to be seized. What would we say? How do we do that? Well, I want to read you just a minute, and, and I know uh, we don't have time to fully uh, go through this passage of Scripture, but turn, if you will, to the, to the Gospel of John. See, in John chapter number 4, verse number 1, the Bible says, "...when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, uh, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples." What did he do? He left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. So he was compelled to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. Uh, He couldn't go any way other than going through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh the woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away in the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. You see this thing called evangelism that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. There's, there's some principles there. And if we're going to be evangelists, like Jesus, I gave you his example. Listen, I gave you my example this morning. Don't you ever follow my example, because it was a terrible example and it'll get you in trouble. But if we look at Jesus, we see that evangelists live intentional lifestyles. They seize upon those moments that uh, come along, that don't come along every day, that don't come along every moment, but they live intentional lifestyles for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus could have went any way he wanted. As a matter of fact, the way that he went, getting from where he was uh, up to uh, Galilee, he went the way that no Jew goes. You know, the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along, so they didn't go through Samaria as they were going along the route to Galilee. But because he was intentional, he knew that there would be a woman there, that that woman would need to hear the gospel, that that woman needed a life transformation, that she needed to be forgiven. He intentionally went through Samaria uh, to get to her. So an evangelist lives an intentional lifestyle. But not only that, an evangelist is willing to take whatever risks are necessary to reach those that need to hear the gospel. Now, I'll tell you this. Now, I know I've got to move on. One of the most difficult things for a Christian, a a real Christian, somebody that's trying to live, uh, somebody that's really trying to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the most difficult things is to maintain those relationships with people who are unbelievers. Because if we're not careful we find that everybody surrounding us, everybody in our circle, everybody that we communicate with, everybody that we have contact with are people just like us. And so, well, why do I need to go to Donna? Or why do I need to go to Shane? Or why do I need to go to Keith to communicate the gospel to them? They've already heard the gospel. They've already received the gospel. So I've got to be intentional. And sometimes that involves taking a risk. Jesus was taking a social risk in speaking to this woman. That's why she said to him, well, what are you doing talking to me? The Jews don't talk to people from Samarit- Sam- uh, Samaria, so he was taking that uh, uh, risk. You know, the Samaritans were people who were carried off by the Assyrians in 586 B.C. They intermarried with the Assyrians and they came back and they kept some of their religion but they incorporated some of it into the Jewish religion and they were hated by the Jews because they considered them to be racially impure, religiously impure, and socially impure. So Jesus was taking a huge risk by going to this woman of Samaria. But not only do we see that evangelists are intentional, I mean, he went there for a reason. We see that Evangelists are really willing to take a risk. And and if we're going to be salt and light in this world that we live, we're going to have to step outside of our comfort zone and take some risk. But most of all, evangelists believe that lost people are important to God. You see, this woman was an outcast. She was a Samaritan, number one. She was a woman, number two. And number three, she would have been considered a prostitute or worse in the Jewish culture. She had had five husbands. And at this moment in time, Jesus goes on and tells her that she's living with a man who is not her husband. Uh, so she was, that's why at this time of day, the sixth hour, so it was about noon, the hottest part of the day, when everybody was taking their siesta and they were in the shade, that's why this woman was out getting water because nobody wanted to be around this woman because she was the lowest of the low in her society and nobody cared. But even though nobody cared in the human sense, God Almighty cared about her and He was intentional in going to her. He took a risk to go to her and He communicated that no matter what she had done, God loves her. And if we're going to be evangelists, we've got to do the same. Go to the worst of the worst. Go to the lowest of the low. Be intentional about it. Take risk if we have to and tell them that God loves them no matter what or where they are in the world in which they live. Now Jesus did a few things here. He didn't leave that sin question unanswered. I mean they go they talk uh, he was purposeful because she's talking about water, and Jesus said in verse 10, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest ask of him, and he would have given thee living water. So he wasn't talking about the golf game or the football game or all the stuff that was going. He directed that thing into the spiritual realm so that he could talk. See, he was intentional about that thing. But then when it come time and the woman said, all right, I'll take a drink of this water, Jesus didn't leave that sin question unanswered. He said, go call your husband. And the woman said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, I know. You've had five and the man you're living with now is not your husband." So we've got to be careful to love people enough like God loves people to make sure that we don't leave that sin question unanswered. See, we've got to repent of our sin and believe in faith. And it's only after we repent so Jesus deals with the sin question and then that woman comes to saving faith. So we see, even in this passage, the potential of purity, the sin questions, is dealt we? We see the power of proclamation. Jesus speaks the spoken word and tells her the truth. And then we see the miracle of multiplication because look what happened in verse number 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified. He told me all that I ever did. My friends, if you could have lived through this week and not seen and felt the hurt that is in our nation, you're blind and you're deaf and you're intentionally asleep. And the only hope this nation has is for evangelists to get out there And tell them that there's a God in heaven that loves them. That that God loves them so much that he became flesh and dwelled among us. That that God that loves them that became flesh and dwelled among us loves them so much that he went to a cross and took the punishment for the sins of the whole world upon himself. And not only that, he's so powerful that after it is over, he got up from the grave and conquered death, proving that not only did he have power to forgive our sins, but he had power over and has power over our greatest enemy, which is death. And listen, there's going to be people out there that deny and say, I don't believe there's a God in heaven, but one thing I can promise you, I can just... I can tell you this and guarantee because every person that's ever lived have asked this question. It's the same question that Job asked and the same question that men have been asking since the beginning of time. If a man die, shall he live again? And we've got the answer. Now, they're asking it. They may say they don't want it. But if we'll come to them with the truth and speak the powerful word of God, we can make a difference and that one in your life won't be like that one in my life I've laid awake in the bed at night and I would not wish that feeling that I felt on my worst enemy don't make that mistake but be an evangelist We've got an opportunity to learn to do it to the best of our ability in just a few weeks. And I challenge you to be here. And like Jesus did, seize that opportunity. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name. God, I want to do it just as good as Jesus did. And Father, I know that in my own power, that's not possible but Lord if I'll trust you to make me a pure vessel and then God I'll have the courage to speak and proclaim your word Father I know because your word promises that you'll save those who believe God it's not up to me to make them believe it's just up to me to live right and tell them the truth but God that's not always easy need your help to do it. So, Father, as your people gather here this day, God, I pray you'd touch our hearts and help our hearts to break for those that need you. Help us to be like Jesus and see that there's hurting people out there. Their only hope is you. If all my hope's in Jesus, need to help others to have that same hope. God, forgive us when we don't. Encourage us to want to. Father, we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name.